there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, and you're very welcome to the Europolitics podcast here in Leinster House. This is David Murphy, and it's a chilly Thursday afternoon, but a big political weekend beckons in less than 48 hours. Taoiseach Michal Martin will be making his way to Oris Nucron and he's going to resign in front of the President Michael D. Higgins. So for more we're joined now by our political team Michal Lahan, Paul Cunningham and Sinead Spain whose day job is editing The Week in Politics but she's going to make her debut here in the podcast today. Exciting. Sinead, uh, thanks for joining us. Sinead, you've been looking a little bit at the um, schedule of events yeah, a little over, bit over the coming days. So the schedule of events. So it's going to be a busy day on Saturday. Um, we obviously know roughly what will happen. So the day starts around half past nine. Michal Martin goes to Oris on Uthron and he tenders his resignation to the President Michael D. Higgins. There's not much time for hanging around. He's back in the Dáil by half past ten when the Dáil convenes and he confirms then that he has resigned. He doesn't get any speechifying or anything because straight we're straight into nominations for Taoiseach. Now we know obviously that Leo Varadkar will be put forward by Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens. We're not sure who will be put out um, who would be put forward by the opposition. Sinn Féin remaining coy on whether they will nominate Mary Lou MacDonald. So we'll see how that one pans out. But something to look out for here might be who nominates Leo Varadkar for Taoiseach. Um, sometimes it could be seen as a an indicator of things to come. Yeah, Mihold, any ideas who would be the likely contenders to do that job? And it, it, it's a young person, isn't it? A young person with a big future in front of them. Uh, when, when Michal Martin... Uh, got the nod back in 2020. It was young James O'Connor and Norma Foley. And of course, Norma Foley's day just got better and better after that. So you never know. One to watch though, exactly. So Someone who's on the inside track and yes. good relations. On the way up. So that's that's the... No, nomin- Rock got a massive run at it, didn't he, in 2016. When he tried. He tried and tried nominating people over and over again. But for No Rock, politically, it wasn't the, the best in the end, ultimately. Was it losing his seat in 2020? I've actually seen around Leinster House this week. Someone else who was seen around Leinster House was actually the former Taoiseach, Brian Cowan. But bring us back to the big day, Sinead. So back to the big day. Once we have the list of candidates, there will be a vote likely to take place around 25 past 12, that sort of time. Um, And then assuming that Leo Varadkar is the successful candidate at that point, uh, we'll be looking for who supported him. Obviously, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens will support him, but what independents might back him for Taoiseach? Um, so we'll know that at that point. And that's kind of critical information, isn't it? Because what it does is it gives the government line of sight regarding who are the people who could support the government in tricky votes to come if there's a tricky budget coming down the road or a tricky no-confidence motion. Yeah, and we got an indication of this earlier this week when we had a we motion of confidence. Vote? <coughs> Thanks, Michal. Uh, we had an indication of um, what way independent TDs on the opposition benches were likely to go when it came to whether or not they had confidence in the housing minister. So if you looked at the regional group, for example, you did see people like Dennis Nocton um, voting in favour mm-hmm. and backing their man. But others were... Not so impressed. So you could see within the regional group, you'd got an amalgamation of independents, but not all of them went the same way. Some supported, some didn't. Now, what Michal was alluding to there and trying to put me in the soup was the fact that we thought that one um, independent, Sean Kenny, had actually voted against 
against uh, no no confidence in the um, uh, housing minister. But in fact, even though the information came from a good source, it turned out to be inaccurate. So he did actually back um, the housing minister. So it just shows you it can be confusing. In moments like this, taking it back to what's going to happen the weekend, exactly that. You'd be looking to see which way do those independents break which gives you an indication of whether they're still supporting the government. Cahill Berry would be an interesting TD to watch out for. He was mostly supporting the government. He seems to be losing some sense that the Defence Forces are going to get what they need. So what way will he go? It's definitely one to watch. Grealish and Snow Grealish, Michael Lowry, they they had expected to be on side. Dennis Nocton was interesting because Dennis Nocton is someone that government, uh, while they think he's favourable to them, doesn't always necessarily uh, go and vote with them. So if he's no. going to do that in a confidence motion on a sticky issue like housing, you'd expect he would back yeah. his old party colleague, Leo Varadkar. So that's the votes, um, Sinead. So what time are we at now in terms of your timetable on Saturday? So now we're at half past one. And at this point, the Taoiseach um, goes to the Oris or on Uchtaron and will receive Taoiseach Leo Varadkar Taoiseach Leo I suppose I didn't want to assume almost Taoiseach and he receives his seal of office from the president and then he's on the road again back to government buildings where it gets interesting this is where it gets interesting exactly so Michal Lan tell us about the bridge there's a bridge between government buildings and the um, Leinster House yeah and people go over over that bridge and then they meet each other on the bridge and then they don't know was someone there by accident there was Two people had met each other last time, I remember, in 2020. And one was so surprised to see the other person. We won't name them. They thought they must be lost over there by accident. So, you get so, that so the bridge basically is people can tell, are they being called over to a meeting where yeah. they will be told that they are going to be nominated to cabinet. So when you see people going over the bridge, yeah. it's an early indication mm-hmm. they've got one of the top yeah. jobs. So. I actually met Norma Foley walking up the stairs to the bridge uh, and she still like told me that she was only in the house to, to go to the canteen really that was the only reason she was there as I saw her going up the steps to the bridge so it was impressive So how do you interpret uh, that? Well ministers they, they can be coy can't they on yeah. the very last <laughs> Coy is a good word <laughs> <laughs> She has very an excellent kidness. poker face Yeah Yes Yeah, yeah. But also, it's, what's interesting now is one of the great games um, for people who are not going to necessarily be elected is to find out the room with the best view of the bridge because then you can watch who crosses the bridge and know yeah. before other people as to who's actually got the knot. By all accounts, then, if you look at everything, and, and there's nothing at all to contradict it coming out of the government buildings today, this is going to be fairly straightforward. So therefore, the sacking bit of it, which is the difficult bit of the day for people, they say it's a particularly difficult task for Leo Varadkar. That's what people say anyway, uh, even though he would be accused at, at the other at other times of, of lacking in empathy. But apparently he does find that difficult. But it looks like there will be no sacking to be done uh, on Saturday. So that would speed up the process. So that is the behind closed doors meeting, meetings of who's getting which jobs. And we're now in late afternoon on Saturday. What happens next, Sinead? Well, that's the point where these guys kick into action and the, well, the rumours and the, um, the behind the scenes, <laughs> as you say. Crafting the report. <laughs> crafting the report and all going to plan. It's the points where things can go a little bit awry, but all going to plan. Five o'clock, the doll will resume. And that's the point at which Taoiseach Leo Varadkar will file into the chamber 
leading his new ministerial team and um, or old ministerial team <laughs> or his old <laughs> ministerial team as the case may be and at the point at which he unveils them to the doll then there's a, a debate in the doll so that takes a bit of time um, speeches by the Taoiseach by the leaders of all the various groups the leaders of the opposition and that should wrap up around the 7 o'clock mark It's worth saying just at that point when the um, do walk in you've got Leo Varadkar followed by his ministers we still at that point if it's a case that no one's mm. been sacked we still won't know about the reshuffles we'll have to hear from the Taoiseach because yeah. he introduces these people yes. this is you know mm-hmm. Micheál Lahan our finance minister so that's the last moment that's when the sort of the the reveal happens yeah and you won't see the AG there and that's going to be probably la- a bit later will he, will he na- name the Attorney General probably you would imagine so yeah yeah, so talk to us a little bit about um, the whole issue of transport, because that's an interesting one, because um, I guess the medium is the message in terms of going up to or Sanukturan. In the past, there was criticism when people saw a fleet of mercs heading up to um, or Sanukturan or big government occasions. So wh- what's the plan in this case, Sinead? So about... Uh Quarter to eight, the Taoiseach and the Taunishta arrive at the Oris by car in two separate cars. And then shortly thereafter, the ministers will arrive and they'll arrive by bus. So that could be a climate change um, issue or it could be, as you say, just the, the optics the right of arriving, yeah. you know, in a fleet of ministerial marks. It probably isn't a great look. Even though, I mean, it is a long time ago. It's 2010 and it's a meeting at Farmley where auster- the agenda is clearly all about austerity and all the ministers arrive in their marks. Yeah. Uh, but there's a sensitivity around it uh, ever since. Well, there's also the, the simple fact of carbon emissions. I mean, why take 15 cars when you can go in one bus? Yeah. How it looks, the late Jerry Ryan was very big on this, that... Um, a minister needs to project and on that basis they should have a big car. Mm-hmm. I remember when, um, if you go back to uh, 2020 when Michal Martin was first elected as Taoiseach was taken down in Convention Centre Dublin because we were all in the the um, grand old times of COVID and uh, he left that big cavernous room, walked out, there was clapping of hands from his parliamentary party members, then he jumped into the car and then you could see there was two other cars left behind. And if I remember, I think it was Jack Chambers was in his own car. So there was like sort of a murk, a murk, and then an ordinary saloon heading up the road. So they hadn't quite got it together then. Let's see if they get it together now. Yeah. And of course, Michal, there is uh, a little interesting moment as well when we're going to have a photograph of, they call it the family photograph of the new cabinet up at the Oris where they're going to be meeting uh, President Michael D. Higgins. Yeah, the big photograph of the new cabinet. What's interesting from Michal Martin's perspective too is as far as I can make out, this is the first time that Michal Martin will have a boss, a new political boss who's younger than him. Brian Cowan was about seven, eight months older than him. So for the first time ever, uh, Michal Martin's got to be managed by someone younger. So we should... uh, that should be interesting. You should get the early signs of how it all works in that photograph. I suppose those who have looked at how the whole of government has kind of worked since he became Taoiseach. So he put a lot of energy uh, into making those relations work with the party leaders. And that wasn't a straightforward one when it came to Leo Varadkar, given their history when he was leader of the opposition and the fairly, fairly bitter exchanges. But it really has apparently worked yeah. uh, to the point where Leo Varadkar says Michal Martin is always fair. Uh, but of course, the dynamic, it shifts now. It does shift back to Leo Varadkar, but it's also interesting when the coalition deal was struck, one of the key things that Fianna Fáil said was that they had, they had to project change. So that meant that Michal Martin had to be 
the Taoiseach. So it wasn't just a continuation. The government was going to look different. Mm-hmm. But now it goes back to Leo Varadkar round two. And I think it is going to be really fascinating to watch how Leo Varadkar handles that job. He, we believe, is projecting this image of, I've learned a lot, I've learned from Michal Martin, I'm going to be a different type of person, I'm going to get stuff done. So just how he eases into that job as leader, second time round, different from the fresh young thing in, in the first iteration, it'll be fascinating. The other thing is that he is going to have a big in-tray when he gets into office, Paul. We've got uh, housing, refugee situation, climate, energy, cost of living, Brexit, Northern Ireland, war in Ukraine, to name but a few. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a big agenda ahead of him. And also, what we're, where, as Micheál Martin was initiating a new government, even though we're two and a half years away from a general election, there is that sense that it's Leo Varadkar who's going to be leading his team into that general election. The question of how they perform on those big issues are going to be evaluated through that particular lens and it is a pressure on Leo Varadkar to deliver because in the context of general elections or in the context of by-elections, that isn't something he's been very successful at. And so the pressure is going to be on him personally to deliver. And one would imagine, take for example, if you happen to be a member of Fianna Fáil and you're a backbencher, you're not made a Minister of State come Monday or Tuesday and you're looking at Micheál Martin saying, well, he's probably not going to be around too long are people going to start to get a little bit itchy, scratchy? I I think it is that point probably next September where all that kind of comes into focus for Michal Martin again. And of course, there are those who say if he takes foreign affairs, it becomes more hazardous for him. But it it is very difficult to see Michal Martin becoming anything other than foreign affairs minister, isn't it? I haven't heard any... Like we, You mentioned in this podcast the possibility of him doing higher and further education. Yeah. But it seemed like a long shot. It does seem like going to the back of the grid in political terms and in cabinet terms and the sense of what influence you'd have. But equally, there are those who say that is something that was in a Fianna Fáil manifesto, an idea first devised by James Lawless, apparently, that Micheál Martin took and put centre stage in the negotiations for government. It's, it's an interest he has. Yeah, and that's an interesting name you mentioned, James Lawless. There might be someone who would be looking what might be coming when it, when it comes to the juniors James Lawless on the Fianna Fáil side is, is being spoken about a lot there is another issue there for Fianna Fáil and for Michal Martin which kind of ties in with the legacy thing and that is that question of uh, Michael Moynihan the Cork North West TD yes. the great the person who's been here since 1997 and kind of the great loyal figure within the party to Michal That's Martin good. in those years from particularly 11 to 20 who didn't mm. get anything the last time uh, from a party perspective and if there is going to be an extra junior minister uh, it would be seen as uh, something that would uh, bring together the different probably strands of, of of people who are not entirely as happy with Michal Martin as his uh, public uh, ratings and support levels it would indicate. Yeah, it would salve a wound. So yeah. what, what exactly, Michal, is the career plan for Michal Martin? He goes in yeah, as Taunchta, he takes... He takes a Where's cabinet like ministry. Here, you text him. <laughs> yeah. See if, hopefully he'll get back to you. I'm sure he'll be straight back onto you. Uh, I, I think I think Michal Martin is going to become European Commissioner in June 2024. I think the fact that when Phil Hogan left that time and Fine Gael were uh, given the, the nod to make their appointment, that Fianna Fáil would see it as their turn. It seems like the, the logical place for him to go. There's one big problem with that, though. 
if you can say on the one level that Michal Martin can give a hint in early 2024 that, that that's what he's thinking and that would allow the leadership uh, issue to be debated. Mm-hmm. But that is an election year. It's a local and European election year. So there are people who will get very worried if that's on the agenda and the leadership issue isn't dealt with going in well in advance of those particular elections. Yeah. So two, I mean, two things to say about that in the uh, commissioner issue. Europe does like former prime ministers. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be sort of a feather in his cap in any push that he was going to make. Um, but there is that issue of to what extent is he leading for himself, as in the party, yeah. as opposed to leading the party? And so everyone's going to be watching that straight off the bat. I think the other thing is that it would also mean, absolutely, if that is his intention, and obviously we're speculating here, then the foreign affairs gig makes sense. Yeah. If you're the Minister for Foreign Affairs, you're over in Brussels all the time, then it makes it much easier than to hop into some commissionership. Now, Paul, on a much more sober note, you have been over and back over recent years to the Lebanon with various politicians. And obviously we've had the uh, tragic news of the death of Sean Rooney and uh, a second soldier, uh, uh, Shane Carney, has been injured. Um, Tell us why Ireland and has become such a big part of the peacekeeping effort in the Lebanon over so many decades. Yeah, uh, uh, and condolences to his family and obviously wishing uh, the man who's critically injured um, the very best. And for all of the troops in Lebanon, it must be incredibly difficult and traumatic time for them and the wider Defence Forces family. But the Irish story in relation to Lebanon stretches all the way back to 1958, when 50 officers were sent over on a UN mission to watch and, and observe what was happening um, between the Lebanese and the Israelis on that borderline. So it was just an observer mission. If you roll on to 1978, there had been a big clash. Uh, Palestinians from Lebanese territory had launched an attack on northern Israel and more than 30 civilians were killed. The Israeli response was to invade and after things settled down, basically, Israel controlled the southern part of Lebanon up to about 15 kilometres. And there were Irish troops sent in there, the first contingent in 1978, part of this UNIFIL mandate, the interim force in Lebanon. And they were going to effectively, they were likely armed, they're going to be able to defend themselves. But what they were trying to do is to ensure that resistance groups like Amal and Hezbollah were not launching attacks on uh, northern Israel or indeed on uh, a militia, the South Lebanese army, which had been created by Israel to guard that territory. So that was what happened. 650 soldiers every six months rotating. So that's 1,200 soldiers every year for 22 years. Indeed, it's such a statistic that you can actually say that uh, more than half of all Defence Force members in Ireland served in Lebanon at one time or the other. And it did come at a cost. There were 47 Irish soldiers in Lebanon who lost their lives. Some were in road traffic accidents, some were health issues, but 15 were killed in the line of fire. On one occasion, three soldiers in 1981 were shot dead in three days. So the Irish have had a very proud record in Lebanon. It's been a very costly um, issue. There hasn't been a killing in nearly two decades. And so I think this has come as a complete shock to the defence forces and just underlines once again, if you are in a conflict zone, even if it is frozen, even if it has been running on for decades, you are still putting your life on the line. You were out there last May. What's it like on the ground there in terms of the tensions 
on the ground because clearly they have been escalating over recent months. Yeah, like the Irish um, original mission ended in the year 2000 and that was on the basis that the Israelis had pulled their forces out of Lebanon. So effectively Lebanon had more or less been reunited. But by 2011, the Irish were sent back in. And the reason they were sent back in is because they've been so successful in engaging with the local population, the manner in which they handle themselves, their military prowess. So we've been there since 2011 operating with Polish forces. When I was there um, most recently in May with the Taoiseach Miel Martin, the Defence Minister Simon Coveney, and also the um, Chief of the Defence Forces, Sean Clancy, we took that road from Beirut all the way past Sidon, down into southern Lebanon and Tibnin, where this attack took place. There were military all the way along the line. You could see that um, there's a big transfer in how it changes. You can see how the Shia population, which is mostly based in the south, um, begins to become far more visible because the faces of martyrs, of those who have died in the resistance, are all over the towns and villages. And what you saw when you went down there was a force which was operating um, to the nth degree. Um, they were out patrolling. They'd moved um, away from Tibnin, which had been their traditional base, further down towards the border. And it was still a live situation. You definitely got the sense that, you know, what uh, military can some say is, you know, relatively quiet. Relatively quiet still means getting shot at, sometimes getting shelled, sometimes risking your life, some unforeseen circumstances coming around. So it was still a dangerous situation. Thankfully, in our case, we went uh, up and down and there was no trouble. But I think what happened um, just yesterday has come as such a, a terrible shock and such an appalling loss. Paul Cunningham, thanks very much for joining us on the Europe Politics podcast. Thanks also to Michal Lahan and Sinead Spain. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And we'll be talking to you again, hopefully on Saturday, when we'll have updates on all the new names going into the new cabinet. <laughs>